Hi, I'm Pastor Corey, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story. And we hope this sermon can guide you along that path. Visit orangemethodist.org to find out more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. Thank you, Brad. Good morning, church. I'm Adam Seat, lead pastor here at Orange, and I tell you what, it feels like it has been a year since we were together, but I give thanks for the opportunity for you to join us this morning as we worship God in 2021. So far, you have perfect attendance for the year, so way to go. I thank you for being a part of this time with us this morning. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, we give thanks As you brought us into this new year, Lord, we know that you are going to be guiding us each and every day as we look daily for that guidance, Lord. May we be obedient, may we be trusting, and may we always be seeking you. Lord, as we have gathered in this way today for worship, we pray that your Holy Spirit might speak to us. As we've already heard the scripture as it has been read, now may we hear it as it is to be proclaimed. Use your Holy Spirit to transform the words that proceed from my mouth, and as they fall upon our ears and penetrate our hearts, may they be changed into the word of God that we need to hear today as individuals and collectively as one body. Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people said, amen. During this pandemic, one of the new hobbies that I have taken up has been making sourdough bread. Now, for years, my mom would make sourdough bread and it was always such a awesome thing to smell the bread cooking in the kitchen. And mom had such a knack for making it. And it was always such an important part of every meal that we would have. And in fact, when I first was serving my very first church, it was a small church, but every time we took communion at that church, we used a loaf of my mom's sourdough bread. And when the service was over, it wasn't just the kids coming up to get a little bit of extra Jesus. The altar was surrounded by people wanting to come up and have more of that sourdough bread. And so during the midst of this pandemic, I I saw a post from one of our own, Meredith Kiesler, who was doing a small fundraiser for an organization that was helping to feed people during this difficult time. And so Meredith had said that for a small donation to that organization that you could get some sourdough rolls. And longing for that memory, I made that donation and Meredith delivered those rolls. And when I opened up the bag, the smell took me right back to my mother's kitchen. And it was such a special thing to be able to dig into that. And so that just led to my curiosity and my family's curiosity about wanting to try to see, could we start making sourdough bread? And so Meredith graciously shared some of the sourdough starter. And that's where my hobby began. Sure enough, every Friday during the midst of all this pandemic, I have to get up and I I get the sourdough starter and have to pour out a cup and I mix all the ingredients all together and then I have to set it aside 
cover it and set it aside and let it rise, rest and rise. Then Saturday morning comes, I get up and I punch down the bread and then I begin to separate it out into whatever type of bread I'm going to be making. Sometimes it's just simple sourdough loaf or sourdough rolls, but I like to get a little bit more creative sometimes. I'll make cheese bread, I'll make cinnamon bread, and oh, our favorite is the cinnamon rolls that are just calories galore, but worth every single one. Now, in the midst of making all this bread also, I I have to feed the sourdough starter, because if not, it won't stay active, the, the yeast will die out, and so there's a process that you have to follow, a discipline. And I do that every Friday as I pour out some. I then have to feed the sourdough starter so that the next week when it comes time to be able to make some more bread, that the sourdough starter will be good for making the bread. It's this discipline that I have to practice. And if I don't practice it, the bread will not be any good. And then Sunday morning, typically while I'm here worshiping in this way, my wife is at home cooking, baking the bread. And when I get home, I walk into a house of bread. It smells like as you're approaching my house, if the windows are down, it's like I'm smelling a bakery. I mean, we have so much bread so many times. We're begging people to take some of our bread. If you want some bread, email me. Let me know. It's the yeast I can do. I'll be happy to share it with you. Just let me know. But in the midst of all this hobby of making this bread, it was so exciting for me as we had been planning out that we were going to begin this new worship series starting today. We're going to be looking at the Gospel of John. And in the Gospel of John, there are seven statements that Jesus makes. Seven I am statements. And today is I am the bread of life. So who else could pick this one? I decided I had to jump on this one so that I could really be able to embrace it all because of the love that I have for making bread and also, frankly, the love that I have for puns. Some of you know I have an affinity for puns. You might have already heard one or two in the message today. The gospel writer John I love the gospel of John because he writes in such an eloquent way that it is hidden with so many puns. Sometimes they're incredibly obvious. Sometimes they're much more subtle. Some are absolutely brilliant. And when I say puns, I really just mean the wordplay, meaning that if you hear it, it may mean one thing on one level. But if you really think about it, it has such deeper meaning. And really and truly, every single one of these I am statements that Jesus makes has so much of a deeper meaning than what you see on the initial surface. And so to set it all up, really, we need to go back and to understand a little bit of context and and consider that. So we're going to go through this whole adventure through the Bible. So put on your seatbelt, stick with me. Hopefully we won't get off track. In Genesis chapter 2, God is identified for the first time in this very special, unique way. Now, in Hebrew, it basically is four letters. You probably already know these. I'm probably not telling you anything you don't know. But just in case, Y-H-W-H. Now, that is God's sacred and holy name. And the way it might be pronounced might sound something like Yahweh 
now. You've probably heard that name before. And as that name is given there throughout the scriptures, there's so many times that that name is used. And we are reminded of this holy and sacred name of God. And as we go through the book of Genesis, we get to this point where, if you remember, Joseph, Joseph who was sold into slavery by his brothers, Joseph who had had these dreams and these visions, and then he's sold into slavery, and he ultimately ends up there in Egypt. And as he's in Egypt, long story short, he ends up in Pharaoh's court where he's able to interpret Pharaoh's dreams, predicting this great famine that was to come. So Pharaoh raises him up to be second in charge of all the land. And so he prepares for this great famine that is to come about. Now, as he does all of this work, he ultimately is reconciled to his family. He brings them. They stay there in Egypt with him. And as they are there, their numbers continue to rise. They are prospering. That family is growing. And the people of Israel are multiplying. They're doing really well. Ultimately, a new pharaoh arises, one who did not know Joseph, who did not acknowledge that which Joseph had done. And he becomes fearful. He becomes afraid of the people of Israel, and so he decides to begin to try to oppress them and make their work and their lives so much more difficult. And ultimately, he orders that any male that is born is to be thrown into the Nile River and be killed. Harsh stuff. So the people of God begin to cry out. They cry out for deliverance. And God hears them, as God always does. And so Moses, Moses is tending the flocks in the wilderness. And he sees at a distance a burning bush. And he turns. And as he approaches the burning bush, he encounters God. And in that encounter... God tells him that he is sending him to set his people free. Now, if you remember the story of Exodus, and if you don't remember, I'm teaching a Sunday school class on the book of Exodus. Send me an email and I'll get you involved. You can join in today. We're doing the Zoom class. But back to the story. As he's speaking with Moses, Moses is is trying to get out of it. Moses seems to be questioning, I don't know about this. I'm not really a good speaker. And Moses even says, look, if I go and I do this, who do I even tell them has sent me? (laughs) And God says, I am who I am. (laughs) Tell them I am has sent you. I am the one who is. I am Yahweh. You know, some interpret that holy name of God, Y-H-W-H, Yahweh, I am, I am. Some interpret that to almost even be the sound of breathing. Yahweh. Yahweh. And with every breath, we're calling on the name of God. That is who is sending him. That is who is delivering him. I am. Okay, so, so let's jump all the way forward uh, back to the book of John. And in the gospel of John, we know how the gospel of John begins. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. We all know that. And how John sets up the whole story. And ultimately, in John chapter 4, there's this one point 
that John is encountering this woman, a Samaritan woman at a well. You know that story. And Jesus asked her for something to drink, and which leads to this whole discussion about living water. And as they are discussing this, the woman says to Jesus, Now, I know that the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. You know what Jesus replies to her? I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Now, we don't technically count that as one of the I am statements of Jesus. But here, here Jesus is making a divine connection, a direct connection to the divine and sacred name in order to identify himself as the one that God has sent who is visible and is who is made known. This technically would be the first I am. But then we get into John chapter 6. Now, in John chapter 6, we have this passage that is known all over the world. Jesus is teaching a large crowd. The day is getting late. And Jesus asked for them to offer them something to eat. You know, they don't have anything to eat. There's not anything to feed this many people. They record the number of being 5,000 and you and I both know that if you actually count in the children and the women, we're probably talking a number of ten to 12,000 people. And the only thing, the only thing that anyone brings forward that might could be used to feed these people is a young child brings forth five loaves and two fish. Jesus blesses it, breaks it, and gives it to the disciples who then begin to distribute, and you know the story, that when everybody has been fed, they still have baskets full left over. It's remarkable how Jesus has fed this massive crowd. It's a wonder. It's a sign. And so, as Jesus ultimately sends them on, he sends the disciples out on ahead of him, and Jesus goes off for a time of his own personal prayer. And then, we know that story in the night, as they're out on the waters, Jesus makes his way. He walks out to them on the water. They think it's a ghost, but they find, surely, this is the one that calms even the seas. This is Jesus. This is the Messiah. And so the next morning, the scripture, that's where we pick up for today. The, the scripture has it picking up where the people begin to go looking for Jesus the next day. I mean, they're hungry. <laughs> Yesterday, he gave us bread and fish. Let's see what he's going to give us today. And so the people begin searching, looking, and trying to find Jesus because they want some more bread. <laughs> And as they encounter him, Jesus knows what they're there for. Jesus gets it. Jesus, he reads through their motives. And they ask him, what must we do to perform the works of God? That they may believe in him. What sign? They want to know, what sign can you give to us that we might believe? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. It's funny to me. So the bread and the fish the day before wasn't sign enough 
now you're, you're needing another sign to actually believe? I mean, you saw how this started, and you saw how it ended. And you're still needing another sign that you might believe? <laughs> they're just really coming because they're hungry. <laughs> and they, it's interesting how they make this connection. They go back to Exodus. And they say how our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness now. Being, again, a person that loves hidden meanings of things, I always love the story of manna because the word manna literally is a question. It's a question that says, what is it? So you remember how God provided for them when they cried out and they were hungry in the wilderness. And when they would arise in the morning, there would be manna around on the ground. And for six days out of the week, every morning they were to go out and be disciplined every day to go out and gather Enough that they might eat for that day. Only what they would eat for that day. Now, on the sixth day, they gather enough for the following day. For the following day was to be a day of Sabbath. A day of rest. And if they ever took too much, if they ever took up too much, it spoiled. It was rotten. It was no good. See, God was intentional that every day that they would come, for this bread from heaven that he was providing. Not just when they get hungry. But it would be an everyday thing that they would go to him. God required these daily gatherings. Now, these people in this story, they are coming to Jesus once again. They're only coming because now they're hungry. <laughs> Have you ever heard it said that if you wait... To drink water till you're thirsty, then it's already too late. That you need to be drinking in advance before you get thirsty. Because once you get thirsty, that's a sign of dehydration. Well, it's kind of that way about coming to Jesus only once we get hungry. <laughs> if we come to Jesus only once we get hungry, it might be a little bit too late. And see, that's so many times the way we approach our relationship with God. We know he's there. We know he's always there for us. It's just sometimes we only come to him when we face a crisis, when we find ourselves in need. <laughs> Some of you may know that I used to, years ago, be active in running. I used to love to do that. And when I would have a long run, I would have to prepare the day before, even sometimes two days before. You'd carb load. You'd eat extra pasta, carbohydrates, because that way it stores up in your body so that you'll have fuel for the duration of your long run. There was an episode of The Office one time where Michael Scott was putting on a 5K. If I remember correctly, it was to raise money to help find a cure for rabies. And as Michael Scott is not a runner, he knows something about this carb loading idea. And so the day of the race, he orders a huge platter of fettuccine Alfredo. And so just moments before the race, he is just shoveling it in, shoveling it in. And then he has to go run 3.1 miles. <laughs> if you saw the episode, you know things don't end up that well. <laughs> he started too late. He came too late. It would have helped had it been a daily preparation for us let's make this year a different kind of year for us 
Let us seek the bread of life every day. See, Jesus isn't saying, just come to me once a week. Jesus isn't saying, just come to me only when you're hungry. Don't come, only come to me when you need me. Jesus wants to be in this relationship. And that relationship requires daily gathering of the bread of life. It requires that discipline. Just like the discipline of the sourdough bread. It requires that discipline of every day seeking to find the manna. Find what it is that feeds us, nourishes us, sustains us. And maybe, maybe we found ourselves hungry. This year has left us hungering, thirsting for so many things. But maybe we can begin this year by setting an intention of our lives. Setting an intention that every day, no matter what, we're going to seek the great I am. We're going to seek him out. And not just wait till we're hungry. Not just wait till we're in crisis. But we seek him out every day. And then may we be able to truly know that he is the bread of life. He is the great I am. Let us pray. Lord, you call us in relationship with you. And that relationship requires us to, to work, to be disciplined, to be intentional in our walk with you. And so this Sunday, this year, Lord, let it be different. Let it be such that every day we might seek out the bread of life. Let it be that every day we might be able to find that which nourishes us, that which sustains us. Let's not wait till we get hungry or thirsty. Let us come to you each and every day. For you are the great I am. Lord, I pray this in the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit and all of God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online at orangemethodist.org.